and welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. My name is Jimmy McLaughlin, and up until last year, I was advising the Prime Minister on business, specialising in entrepreneurship and technology. This podcast is designed to recreate a Prime Ministerial-style briefing, distilling key points from half-an-hour interviews with entrepreneurs, specifically asking them about where the jobs of the future are coming from. With jobs and careers becoming one of the biggest topics of 2020, this podcast is designed to bring those conversations to a wider audience. Whether you are just starting out on your career, transitioning, or even a bit longer in the tooth, I hope you'll find these conversations thought-provoking about where our economy is going. Onwards to today's episode. Today, I'm joined by one of the UK's leading entrepreneurs. Hayden Wood founded Bulb alongside his co-founder, Amit, in 2015. For those of you that haven't heard of Bulb, they provide 100% renewable electricity and 100% carbon neutral gas to a now staggering 1.7 million members across the United Kingdom. That has led to it becoming the fastest growing private company in the UK. But its growth is not just limited to these shores, as it has recently just announced expansion into France, Spain and Texas. They employ over 800 people in a wide variety of roles, and we'll ask Hayden where he sees the green jobs of the future coming from. It is a phrase that is often trotted out, but we'll aim to get into more of the detail today. Whilst it has been a great success story, not everything is or has been plain sailing, and we will discuss some of the challenges the company has had along the way. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Hayden onto the show. Hayden, perhaps you could tell us a little about the story about how you founded Ball and what your plans for the next few years are. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Um... The idea came from just seeing a a problem in the energy industry that we didn't see getting solved. We saw customers getting a pretty raw deal from their energy companies. And there's this measure for customer satisfaction called net promoter score. And we saw that uh, the net promoter score for all energy companies back in 2014 was negative, which meant that their customers were really unhappy. So that's where the idea came from. We just saw this problem and thought that somebody should do something about it. I guess the reason we saw that problem was because we've both been working in parts of the energy industry ourselves. So Amit had been a gas and electricity trader at one of the banks trading in the wholesale markets. And I had been a management consultant and had been put on a project with, with one of the incumbent energy suppliers. And, uh, and yeah, we just, it ended up being irresistible. We could, we started working on it as a sort of hobby. And then it became such a kind of real thing that we end up, ended up both quitting our jobs and, and, and starting it up full time. And so how long were you working on it as a hobby for? Because obviously with the pandemic and so on, people have spent more time at home, spending more time on hobbies and maybe trying to make a bit of a, a side income from it. How long were you guys sort of playing with it on the side? Yeah, well, we were sort of building up our spreadsheet for how yeah how the business would work. We, we were doing that for about three months and then just sort of in the evenings and at weekends. And then that's from that point, that's when we started to, I think I took a holiday uh, in order to just work on it full time for, for a week. And that, yeah, so that, that time was about, was about three months. And, and it was during that time where the idea for Bulb crystallized, I guess. So we knew there was this problem with the energy service that customers were getting, but we didn't really know like exactly what we would do or how we would try and solve it. And it was over that three month period where we decided to create an energy supplier. So we decided to be the company that was responsible for purchasing renewable energy from, from generators and then selling it to consumers. And for consumers, 
you know, providing them with that energy, but also providing them with great service and really useful tools like an app and a, and a website that enables our customers to understand their energy usage. And so it was over that period where we kind of got the clear idea for, for what it was we were going to do. And was there a sort of particular light bulb moment? I mean, you talk about it very much there as a process, but was there a moment, you know, who first turned to who and sort of said, perhaps we could do something here? Uh, yeah, I mean, it felt really incremental and just, but you, you know, you're sort of doing it bit by bit. Yeah, Amit and I had been friends a few years beforehand, and we'd just talked about work whilst we were out with other friends. We'd sort of have to sit in the corner and, and talk about work. You know, I remember there was a time when Amit came over to see me during a lunch break, and that felt like, you know, not so much a light bulb moment, but but one of those moments where you sort of look at each other and say, like, oh, we could really do something here. We could really, this could actually be a, a business or, you know, a thing that we spend lots of time on. And then I think the other, I guess, like important moments were when we both had got job offers from other places and rejected them so that we could work on this idea. And I, and I guess that commitment to each other was also very important. Like when you know that your friend has turned down a really good job offer to work on this thing with you, you feel very responsible. And, you know, then then it's very serious. And also, you know, we were about that time, Amit, Amit was getting married. I just proposed to my wife and you're sort of making decisions on how to spend your time that are quite important for your family finances so that was another forcing function it just made it just made us both very deliberately decide to do it and do it properly fascinating and so when it comes to jobs of the future um you talk passionately about uh, an institution that you have within bulb uh, called bulb labs where do you think that sort of jobs are three to five years are, are coming from and, and can you just talk us through a little bit that, of the structure of how bulb labs works as well yeah, well, I guess I'd talk about the whole of Bulb because the whole company is a bit like a lab in some ways. But for the listeners, Bulb Labs is part of Bulb where we experiment with new products and services that energy customers might want to use. So, for example, Bulb as a renewable energy supplier is the biggest renewable energy supplier in, in the UK now. By getting people to switch to us, we are reducing their carbon emissions by 100% for their energy usage and about 40% for their overall lifestyle. There's another way of, of greening up people's energy usage, which is to help them shift that usage away from peak periods of demand, which would be at about five o'clock to seven o'clock in the evening when everybody else is using energy too, and shifting that usage into quieter periods, say in the afternoons or, or overnight. And so some of the experiments that we've been running in Bulb Labs address that that issue. So we've had projects where we've installed monitors in people's homes and given them rewards for shifting usage out of those peak periods and into the off-peak periods. And those projects, you know, they're very kind of hacky. So you'll have some designers and software engineers and product managers and data scientists that will just work together in a very independent and fast-moving way um, in order to, to, to launch those projects. I guess to, to your point about the future of jobs. When we were starting Bold, people told us that we were crazy for starting an energy supplier in London because traditionally energy companies had been based outside of cities and had set up large call centers 
in places where rents were low and wages were low so that they could reduce their costs. But we took a very different approach with Bulb. We wanted to solve all of the problems with energy by using technology. In order to have a sort of technical solution to a lot of these problems, we needed to have lots of different types of people with different skills working on those problems. And that's why we based ourselves in London, because it has a large and diverse workforce. And so when we work on particular problems, we will have a kind of multidisciplinary team of customer service people and operations people and software engineers and designers that will be solving those problems. And I think for the future of work question, what I've seen in the Bulb team is that there's less and less difference between different jobs, actually. And we're seeing that lots of the technical solutions to problems that are emerging when we have Hack Week and things that are coming from people who aren't necessarily employed as software engineers, but they're still coding themselves as a hobby or when they're working on these projects, they, they, they do that themselves. So the, the amount of learning that we've seen from our team on these sorts of projects has really surprised me, actually, is, is, and I think is probably a trend that we'll continue to see. So it's almost that you need people with a melody of skills. So even a sort of software engineer or something could perhaps come up with the design of things. Would that be fair to say? Or, or at least be be working very closely in a multidisciplinary team and able to comment on those things. Yes. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's that's very interesting. And so, what do you think the core skills are that you're most looking for over the next three to five years? I mean, obviously, sort of teamwork and the ability to be able to read across different challenges within the business sounds very important. I guess, how can you sort of quantify that as a skill when you're looking to upskill yourself in those areas? Yeah, it's it's uh, that's a really good question. I think about that personally uh, quite a lot. Um, so w- when we started the company, we wrote down like what what was important to us, our values. That's when we had a sort of team of 10. And then we've done that again a few times over the last few years. And it's turned into this document that we call the Bulb Culture Document. And it sets out the behaviors that we value from our team members, from, from, you know, from everyone in the company. And I guess that some of that is related to, to, to skills. And, and so I'll just talk through what some of those things are for us. But we publish this on our, on our blog, um, so it's public for everyone to see. But uh, there, there's three categories, really. So the, the first one is around you know, having an impact. And so the sorts of skills there that are really important are problem-solving skills, being able to prioritize and come up with a good solution, not necessarily a perfect solution in a short space of time. The second area in our culture document is around clear communication. Um, So we place a lot of importance on that. That goes down to things like clear, succinct, short emails. We have a process at Bulb where we'd love to document things. We like to document the logic and the rationale behind making decisions. So being able to write those documents very well is a really important thing. And it also it's very important for uh, the communications that we send to our members. I think one of the things that's very important at Bulb is that we speak in like plain words and plain language. We try not to use jargon. And it's actually quite you know, it's harder than you think to communicate without using any jargon. I probably used a bunch on, on this uh, podcast already. And so those are skills that we place a lot of importance on. So when we're interviewing new candidates, we're looking for the, you know, how they describe things and how they take a complex idea and distill it down to something simple. The third area, just very briefly in our, in our culture, is around continuous improvement. We're a company of nudges where we just improve things bit by bit, week by week. And for us within that improvement 
area, being able to use data is extremely important. So the last thing I was going to mention on, on really important skills for people in the workplace is a comfort with numbers and data and being able to use different analytics packages, modeling things in a simple way. We see that as being a very important skill within our within our company. And how do you test for those sort of three requirements that you've laid out? How do you interview for those? Do you ask people about their writing, their oral, you know, it's easy to ask people about their oral skills, but do you have sort of writing and, and data tests, as it were? We do. Or are there particular? Ah, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So every, whenever we're recruiting for a role, the person who's recruiting for that role will define what skills are required in that job what they're looking what they're looking for and then they'll they'll design tests that mean that the candidate can demonstrate those skills every candidate will will sort of complete those and we try as much as we can to rely less and less on the in-person interviews because they're open to bias and, and, and these sorts of things we do really like to try and use those tests and use those exercises you know case studies as, as much as possible yeah absolutely i mean i think it's a, a fascinating area for how sort of job interviews are are changing because they do lead towards as you say sort of mm. you know natural biases and and so forth and the skills that you know you've talked about oral communication being an important one but it's there's so many others there that you you need to try and test for as as well mm. i mean there was a stage we don't use them anymore but there was a stage when we were using games to test for skills as well it was a really interesting company that gets you know you, you get candidates to play these games i think there were a variety of different games the one i think we ended up using was managing a sushi restaurant and you know you're playing this game as a candidate and you're trying to work out whether to make more fish or clean plates or send people bills and, and the way in which people play those games varies quite a lot and we could then use the different ways of people playing the games to identify different skill sets that people had that was a very interesting part of our recruitment process. We ended up not using it because we found a, a better way of finding those those skills in candidates. But I thought it was fascinating to, to imagine how that might be used more in the future. Yeah. And but that's also interesting in terms of, you know, one of the industries that's struggling through the pandemic is hospitality. And actually there are lots of transferable skills in an industry like that. You know, you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of an energy company, but that mm. that experience that can be gained generally by a younger workforce can add real advantage then you think. Absolutely, like 100%, yeah. So can you just talk us a bit more through about the kind of how you re recruit for people now? Because I know you've you've talked about in the past the inevitability of being a fast-growing startup means that you're always slightly behind on hiring people mm. and you're always looking for talent. So it'd be interesting to learn about what you do now in terms of trying to get that very best talent in. Well, it's it varies depending on the type of role and the type of team. So, you know, at Bulb, there's... There's about half of the company that work as energy specialists um, working on service and operations. We then have a large product and engineering team that's building a software that our members use, that our internal teams are using. And then we have all of the other typical functions that you'd expect within a company, you know, finance people, marketing. The way in which we recruit now is like I said, we get very specific about each role, what a successful performance in that role would look like. We then match that to the skills that we're looking for. So we come up with very specific job descriptions. We then post those job descriptions on, on boards. Uh, for some roles, we might use a sort of proactive 
outbound recruiting team that can be both internal and, and external. We have a sort of round of interviews. We make sure that we have a, a very diverse group of people that perform interviews. We have a program called the Bar Razor program where we make sure that we have some people who have been doing recruitment for a long time are involved in that recruitment process. And then all of the people that have been involved in the recruitment process get together at the end when, when the decision is being made. I would say, just in summary, it's probably the most important process that we have within the company and the most important decisions that we make are around recruiting and talent. You know, I've only been doing this job for, for a few years, but the, the, the more I learn and see it, the more important I see it as being key to getting really missionary motivated people with, with skills and talent um, into, the different, into the different jobs that we have evolved. Understandably, it sounds like you've become a lot more systematic, you know, particularly as you've now hired over 800 colleagues over the last few years. Perhaps from the early days, can you tell us about a serendipitous hire, as it were, um, somebody that perhaps met you at an event or something similar like that, where they really demonstrated that sort of mission to you and a hire that worked out really well? Yeah, I mean, I received lots of emails and things from people who are excited about what Bulb is doing and think that they can add to it. And I think that's a really good way of applying. Like I, you know, I read through the profiles and have an email with the person and then pass them on to the right person in the recruiting team. I guess this, in terms of like serendipitous uh, recruiting, there's one time when I was, I just went out, I was having a drink with one of my old colleagues from Bain and I was talking to him about like the top team and how we were structuring the company. And I was saying like, oh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of um, really senior roles that I'm recruiting for that we need to hire, and um, and he just said, "Oh, interesting! Like, uh, well, you know, what are they?" And and then in the end, we ended up talking about it a bit more. And a few months later, um, he actually joined. Uh, we we sort of recruited him, and this is Joe Richardson, our, our UK general manager, person that does uh, <laughs> at the time probably doing about seventy. He's now doing seventy percent of the job that I was doing back then. So it's a, yeah, a very a very serendipitous um, recruit that time. Absolutely. And did you say that he was a colleague of yours or had he previously sort of line managed you? Yeah, he was my old boss. <laughs> I'd that worked... must have been stra- no, it's, strange. It was, it was great. Um, yeah, we worked together on... Actually, I think we worked together on what might have been the, the hardest consulting project of our careers while we were at Bain. And yeah, and Joe, and Joe, I remember at the time thinking that Joe was a great boss. Um, so that was one of the things that made me very confident in, in hiring him for, for this role at Bolt. Absolutely. That sounds a, uh, an amazing sort of serendipitous story. Yeah. You, you've talked previously a bit as well about the, the passion that you have for developing young people in particular mm. as well. And you've mentioned this in, in the past, but yeah, I just wondered if you could talk to us a little bit more about that. It obviously gets harder as the company gets bigger to be able to take a, a sort of stake in, in everyone's career. But I know it's something that you're very passionate about. Mm, yeah, well, we've had this approach at, at Bulb since the start where we've said we want to hire talent and, and rent experience. And so we've often hired lots and lots of people who are extremely talented but are at early stages of their career we've made sure that we now have a mix of both experience and and talent it's very very helpful having that good mix but yeah ever since the start of the company we've always just hired very bright people at the starts of their careers the benefit of that we found is that people don't come to bulb and just take the template for how things were done in in the energy industry or wherever it is that they worked before and apply that. We've looked at every single issue that that we have as a company and and 
thought about it from first principles and, and, and wanted to come up with something new and, and something that gives customers a better experience. I'll give you an example of that. So when I first worked in the energy industry, lots of energy suppliers had many, many different tariffs. And that introduced a lot of complexity. And it meant that sometimes customers would find themselves on a tariff that wasn't the best deal for them with with that supplier. And so with Bulb, because we didn't have people who'd been in the energy industry before who thought that that was just the way things should be done, we started a company and we just had one tariff. So every single Bulb member is on that tariff. And it means that there's never any concern for them about whether or not they're on our best deal. That's just the sort of thinking that comes out of people who are sort of looking at things for the first time. To answer your question, the way in which we nurture that talent is actually really, really challenging because you've got all of these super bright people and they want to be stretched and working on different things at different times and learning new skills. It's quite hard to make sure that you provide everybody with those opportunities. We spend a lot of time internally on rotations so that people can work on different jobs at different times and move into those rotations and then out. We have a a nomad program set up now where people can live and work in different cities. There's a lot of uh, sort of internal internships when people can take up a role that they haven't done before and, and learn the skills of that. Of course, like any vacancy that comes up, people people from within the company can can apply for those vacancies, and we've had quite a few people just change jobs while while they're at Bowl. Oh, and then there's also things like uh, like training. So we've we've placed a lot of emphasis on giving people training within the company, and also providing people with a budget to seek external training so that they can make those transitions in, in their career should they want to. I guess if you're recruiting people who are say, straight out of university or have moved on from their first job. As an employer, you have to expect for people to go on a sort of journey of discovery and want to maybe change their, change their job at those, at those points. Absolutely. I mean, there's, no, there's so much there to kind of unpack. I mean, I think the higher talent and rent experience is very valuable advice for almost any startup that's, that's in place. I think that's, that's fascinating. I mean, how often do those... I guess there's two parts of the question is, is how often do you have those rotations and intern, you know, internships within the, the company? And at a guess, out of the 800 people that you employ, how many of them did not come with any sort of energy experience, any energy sector specific experience beforehand, do you think? Well, I'll answer the, the second question first. So of, of the people within the company, I would say, yeah, let's say there's 850 people in the company, probably 900 now. But of the 850 people in the company, there's probably 40 or 50 who've worked within energy companies before or had experience there before. So a, a relatively small minority. Yeah. And on the on your first question about the the rotations, I think of again like within within the experience team, which is roughly 450 to 500 people. There's about 40 to 50 rotations available at any one point. Well, that's a, so that's a lot then. So it's almost, yeah, 5% yeah. of the workforce that have the ability to, mm. to learn new skills on the, on the job internally. I think that's um, fascinating. Uh, just one sort of a final question on, the, on this section of the last few months and the impact of it. Um, you said previously that you'd seen peak energy hours between five and seven o'clock and encouraging members off those times. It, has that changed with the pandemic in particular? Have you seen a smoothing out of that? Yeah, it has changed a lot. 
so we've seen a general increase in the amount of energy that people are using at home because they're just at home more. And then the second thing is we've seen a change in the profile of what hours of the day people are using energy. So we're seeing a lot more usage in the middle of the day when people used to be away from home because they're either in the office or at work, wherever they might be. And now we're seeing much more usage in the middle of the day. We've also seen an increase in network charges. So the companies who run the grid, it's been more costly for them to run the grid over the last few months because their costs are driven by unexpected energy usage. And so with those changes in profiles, we've seen those networks have to adapt the network and maybe they turn on some of the short-term generation that they have. Brilliant. Thank you for such wonderful insight into how the energy industry has changed over the last six months. It's um, very interesting to hear. And so just just moving into the final section, what's the kind of most boring or mundane job that you've, you've ever had to do in, in your career? Oh, that's a very good question. I would say <laughs> the, probably the toughest was, um, was making cardboard boxes in a fruit packing plant. No disrespect to the other people in that I was with, but I found that there was a lot of clock watching in that in that job, which I found difficult. Yeah, how many boxes per hour and so forth. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I did. I remember I got in a bit of trouble because in order to sort of keep myself thinking about stuff, I, I used to stack them up to ever increasing heights after I'd made them, and then one one time it was like, um, yeah, it all collapsed, and I I got in a bit of trouble. I can imagine. Well, that leads well into the next question, which I sort of call the um, the the ducking disasters. Like every entrepreneur has to try things, whether it's stacking boxes as high as possible and, and so forth. But is there a is there a time you can look back at and just think, gosh, that was a complete disaster? But yeah, we actually learned something from it. Disaster? I, I mean, I don't know what you mean. We've never we, that, not, that's never happened. Everything's been so smooth at Bold. Uh, no, there's been decisions that I've made which I shouldn't have made. I tell you, there's one. So there's one thing that happened which we've learned, which we really learned, learned a lesson on, which is our customer growth accelerated massively in 2018, and we built a lot of tech uh, that helped us cope with that scaling um, really, really well. But we also needed to hire more people into our service teams and operations teams. And at that time, we hadn't set up the really good recruitment processes, the sort of really ordered recruitment processes that I was talking about before. And so we didn't really have the recruiting capacity at that time to match the the demand. So what we did, we thought we would hire lots of people as temps. And then the, the temps who really enjoyed the job and wanted to stay on could be made permanent. And the temps, we, we didn't really use much of an interview process during that, that time. I think it was like one half hour conversation. Anyway, it ended up being a very, it was a really bad, bad call. We ended up recruiting lots of people that didn't really care that much about like what Bulb was doing and the relationship that they had with the company wasn't as deep as the other people in the company. Um, and it took us about six months to unwind and it sort of like eroded our culture a little bit around that time. And then we had lots of negative fallouts from that. And, and I think, um, it was a, it was a sort of, we knew what we were doing. We kind of wrote out this hypothesis. This is what we think is going to happen. And then it didn't happen. So we kind of disproved our hypothesis but but yeah in retrospect it was probably not the smartest thing to do to hire like 150 people without without interviewing them properly yeah 
Oh, well, I know it's something that you really actually pride yourself on is the sort of customer service and so forth. And like you say, you hire a lot of people in that to this day as well. And, and quite a few have been promoted through the company as well, haven't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, huge. So we, we now have the majority of the function heads who are reporting into the top team are all, most of them are promote three people. Well, that's a, a, an amazing growth story in itself. And what's the best careers counsel that you've ever received? And I, I say counsel because, you know, we talk about careers advice, but mm. often advice comes rooted in sort of people's own biases and own experiences. Um, mm. Whereas counsel is a bit more of a sort of a broader term, which is kind of relevant to all people. I just wondered if there was a bit of careers counsel that had, you know, particularly stuck out for you over the years? Yeah, I, I would say the thing that comes to mind is a, is a mentor that I had in my first job at Monitor Group. So when you joined that company, you were given a mentor and it would be someone quite a bit more senior than, than you. And you would sort of meet with them every few weeks and they would give you advice on how to negotiate the different choices that you have within the company and how to do your project work and just general guidance. And there was a chap called Robert Brown uh, who was a partner at the time. And I was very lucky to have him. He would be very generous with his advice. And he just made me think differently about things. I remember, <laughs> it sort of shows that it dates this, this story, but, you know, we were both watching The Wire together at different, you know, times. We'd watch it and come in and we'd probably spend the first 15 minutes of, a, of, a, of one of our catch-ups talking about The Wire. But he he managed to get me to think about how people were interacting and communicating with each other in that show and understand what their different motivations were. And then magically turn that into a kind of counseling experience where I would learn and then apply that, that you know, those lessons to, to what I was doing at work. You know, yeah, he was a very, yeah, he was a very sort of uh, a very good mentor. Well, yeah, that sounds a great mentor. Anyone that can... <laughs> make netflix binging into a uh, upskilling session i think we would um we would all appreciate that that's uh, that really is an interesting story but also teaches you to sort of look at everything and, and see what you can what you can learn from it i guess one other thing i would add on to that is that it made me realize that in the professional relationships that you have you also have to be like a normal person and talk about normal stuff with them as well and that isn't something that I, that maybe naturally comes up in mentoring conversations or counseling sessions but actually it can be even more effective just to just to talk to each other and i think you know as the lines increasingly get blurred between professional and personal that's um, very useful counsel to to yeah. give um and as a final question is there a particular business book that's inspired you over the last couple of years that stands out particularly oh great question <laughs> um i'm reading one at the moment which is really good it's a book by Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral economist. I think it's one of these little TED books called Payoff. And it's all about different ways of getting people to make choices and all the different ways in which people make choices and the different things that, that motivate us. Uh, and it's very counterintuitive, some of the results from the, the different experiments that they've run. And so, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. That's a good book. Brilliant. Well, that, that sounds fascinating. I will, I will ensure that I look at that myself. Um, Hayden, thanks so much. That's been such a wonderful insight into the area of energy and green jobs and the different types of skills that people are going to require. And, and particularly, you know, it's not just a single skill set that you're often looking for. It's it's a melody of, of things and, and being able to think laterally across different projects and so on is, is so important. So 
thank you so much for spending the time and being able to give an insight into jobs of the future. It's awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. That was a fascinating half an hour chat with Hayden, as I knew it would be. If I was summing that conversation up to the Prime Minister in a briefing note, the key things that I would probably reference are that all employees have to have some form of data test now. The best ideas can often come from surprising places. For example, I was fascinated to hear how their internal hack weeks, where they put lots of multidisciplinary people together to try and improve the business, is where the idea for their single energy tariff came from. Only 5% of their employees have a background in energy before joining the company. At any given point, 5% of employees are in rotation with another part of the business, seeing how each other work and sharing ideas. That their biggest challenge came from when trying to recruit too many people too quickly. This is a challenge that we see a lot for fast-growing scale-up companies. They are also using the traditional in-person interview less because of the biases that this can lead to. And lastly, I was interested to hear how energy use has been smoothed out through the pandemic rather than the traditional 5 to 7 p.m. dash, but that has actually led to an increase in prices because it is therefore less predictable to know when the energy is required. I would, of course, cross-check that with the energy special advisor to see if they had anything to add. Those would be the key points that I would put in a briefing note to the PM. Let me know if you think there are other points that I missed that were particularly relevant. Looking at it from a careers and jobs perspective, there were a number of other things that stood out for me. Hiring people is the most important thing we do, so much so that Hayden reads all of the emails that are sent to him applying for roles. Sometimes in a job interview, you can get in there and think, gosh, this is a really big deal for me. I really want to get this role. It's incredibly important for me. But it's always worth remembering how important it is for the other side of the table to get this hire right too. You can somewhat balance out the process if you think of it from the other side's perspective. Transferable skills. It was interesting to hear how they have in the past used tests and games that replicate working in restaurants. For example, this demonstrates the various skills that you can learn from all walks of life. You may have transferable skills in what you would consider the most unlikely of places. Similar to Hayden's story about the mentor and the wire, inspiration can come from the most unlikely of places. I'd second that too for communication. Oral and written communication is something we have been doing from the age of three upwards. However, thinking ahead of time about what you want to communicate is often a valuable skill to develop. Whenever I write the columns for The Times, I often think of Ernest Hemingway's infamous quote, the first draft of anything is crap. Upskilling himself, Hayden mentioned how he thinks constantly about how he can improve his skills. Straight after the interview, he called me back and said there's some great articles I have read from American football. In particular, he referenced the Patriots. They have one of the smallest sets of coaches in the NFL because they're all generalists. This is something that I often think about at Ball. I have included the links to those articles in the podcast notes, as well as the book that Hayden recommended. On Nomads, it was interesting, I thought, how Hayden said that people had told them originally that they were mad to start an energy company in London, but they wanted access to the most diverse talent pool. However, they are now exploring how people can work slightly more nomadically, which will obviously be a continued trend of the pandemic. Hire for talent, rent experience. This was perhaps the quote that struck me most from Hayden's interview. They hire talent, but they rent experience. If you are a more experienced person, this may be something you have to think about in terms of setting up some kind of portfolio career. That is a topic that we will return to in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. In the spirit of continuous improvement, 
please do get in touch if you disagreed or even agreed with any of my points. And what are the questions you'd like me to ask of future entrepreneurs that we're having on the show? We are on LinkedIn at Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, and you can reach out to me on Twitter directly at Jimmy M or at Jimmy's Jobs. Every podcast asks, but please do leave a rating if you are listening to us on an Apple device. Share us on social media at Jimmy's Jobs, or even be old-fashioned and tell a friend down the pub about it. I'm doing these interviews to try and help people understand jobs of the future, so it really will make a difference if you can tell somebody about it. Thank you very much for listening. 